Here in the United States and around the world, we have a teacher shortage. Not enough of our talented young people are choosing to go into education. Today, we're going to talk with someone who's using an innovative high school program to recruit future teachers. And welcome to episode 21 of the Education for a Better World podcast. I'm Mike Soskal. And I'm Diane Smokorowski. Each week, we will bring you conversations with some of the most dynamic thought leaders in education. This week's episode is sponsored by GoToScience, a tool that allows our youngest learners the opportunity to learn by going on adventures without leaving their classroom. We know that education will be the driving force for a bright, optimistic future. On each show, We'll introduce you to innovative ideas. We'll stretch your thinking and help you see ways to empower students to affect positive change in the world. We are thrilled that you are coming along with us on this journey. Let's dream big. Before we start today, I want to remind you that there are just a handful of spots left for the 2020 teacher adventure with Diane and I to Kenya. To book your trip, Go to bookbagtours.com and make sure that you tell them that you are an Education for a Better World podcast listener to get a $100 discount. Today's guest is Kimberly Eckert, Louisiana's 2018 Teacher of the Year. Kim teaches high school English in Educators Rising, a program that supports students interested in teaching careers. In addition to teaching, she serves as an NEA Global Learning Fellow, a Stand for Children's Lead Fellow Facilitator, and an expert teacher through the National Center for Learning Disabilities. She recently received Louisiana's inaugural Public Interest Fellowship for work with Educators Rising and serves as part of the Diverse and Learner-Ready Teacher Initiative for Louisiana through CCSSO. Kim, welcome to the show. Thank you. Hi. So why don't you start by telling us a little bit about what, what are you passionate about? Oh my gosh, I'd love to. I guess first, first and foremost, I'm passionate about kids and I'm really passionate about learning and I'm passionate about um, the fact that I get to like teach and be a part of all the action where it all happens like every single day. I just cannot believe uh, that this is my life every day. I'm also very passionate about cheese, equally passionate about um, students with disabilities and access and anything that has to do with social emotional learning and authentic learning and 21st century learning, um, just everything that, that kind of uses the talent that we have in our classrooms every day and everything that it puts me in a position where I can help bring out everything we need in every single kid, like every single one, not leaving a single talent wasted. Can you tell us a story about a student's talents being revealed through the work that he's done with your class? Oh, absolutely I can. So it's interesting, the first six years, um, I was a special education teacher, an inclusion teacher, and I knew right away that there had to be a different way to reach students who are not only reluctant, but maybe have like behavioral disorders, and I knew that it was important for me, having no background as a social worker before, so extremely asset-based just in my, my, my profession, I knew it was important to try to deliver an experience where kids didn't go to school for 13 years and there was nothing to show for it. I just didn't want to like be a part of something that cheated them or didn't bring out whatever they needed. So because of that, once I started to try to flip what I thought my role in a classroom was, I was able to get students to find so many passions that they have. So I've had students um, through special education raising money 
for charities, for people, for leading major initiatives within their church or the community to kind of connect and give back to their own communities. I've had students learn to code. I've had students make really lasting partnerships with uh, policymakers and learn to advocate for themselves. But even without that, being able to have students connect with other people and find worth and value in what they do and that they belong um, in the classroom and they belong in any place they decide that they want to be a part of. I think those are just super magical moments. And then now I get to teach students um, on so many different ends of so many different spectrums. Um, in a typical year, I teach advanced students and still inclusion um, with English and it still works the exact same way. There's so many kids that have these capabilities that we haven't even tapped or scratched the surface of. So as you're talking, Kim, your uh -huh. passion for your students and for teaching just shines through. It's like, it's like glowing off of you, which I love. Have you always wanted to be a teacher? Uh, no, and I think that's really interesting. Um, college wasn't always in the cards for me. I'm actually um, part of like first generation high school graduates. My parents did not graduate from high school. And so by the time I was in school, eventually my, my teachers pressured me. They're like, you have to go to college. Like that was a thing, like that I wasn't gonna graduate was a thing. But I wanted to be a social worker, I wanted to change the world. But I think that what we hear a lot, I was definitely someone who heard, but whenever you're kind of talented and you're bright and you're like, you know, I think I might wanna teach, it's sort of that pushback, like, oh, don't be a teacher. Why waste your life? Why do you wanna do that? Um, and that's something that was very interesting to me, but I never thought about it. And then through my work with social work, I was able to work in London, I was able to work um, in Baton Rouge, my work brought me back, and none of that was very fulfilling, and I was only really happy when I was working with schools, and the impact working with students every day is what made me realize that I needed to use a classroom as a way to access students in a different way. And that was really important because I still feel like I'm, I'm a social worker every single day. It's just the vessel that I use now is education, and it gives me a lot more bang for the buck, and I feel like I'm able to reach students um, essentially before the cake's already baked and it feels so empowering for me and being able to empower them um, is what really drives me. So I think that being able to call myself a teacher is just the best way and the quickest and most efficient way to save the world, which I think is all I ever wanted to do. And I agree with Mike, your passion is just awesome. And I'm curious to know, how do you bring other colleagues along this path of excitement? Oh, that's such an interesting question. For the longest time, I was also an instructional coach. So my district identified that maybe I should be paired with people and maybe I should actually um, purposefully bring colleagues or, or bring teachers who are maybe struggling or just having a really hard time um, managing it all or finding really their purpose in a classroom. So I was an instructional coach for a few years exclusively. And then I went back in the class. And so What's interesting about that, I was able to really get perspective from very early in my career about the things that sometimes hold teachers back. And a lot of times it's really the fear of the unknown. So the biggest way that I'm able to help other colleagues kind of um, tap into their, their own passions or whatever it is, because I think a learner is a learner, it doesn't matter if you're you know, a child or an adult, is to make yourself um, part of the example and to make vulnerabilities be something that um, we, that we learn from and we share in, and that's something that's not really stigmatized. So my classroom is an ever-going Petri dish, and teachers are always invited to come in. Um, I really kind of break down the walls, almost literally, where like doors are just sort of open, and um, the space that I go through, and the space um, to have teachers come in, and to be able to support them, and, and really validate them, but give them a place to practice, and a place to question, and a place to really hone and sharpen their skills. 
in a way that's non-judgmental and non-evaluative. Um, so that's been really successful. Even now, my district gives me the very, very uh, like novice teachers and teachers who are maybe struggling a little bit more resistant to change for whatever reason there is. And I realized in that that a lot of times the job of teaching is sometimes very shocking to newcomers, meaning I think that sometimes the message is that if you're really great at English, or you're really great at math, you should be a teacher, not really understanding that you have to be really good at people first. Uh, 4.0 in physics is not the same thing as a 4.0 in human. And so because of that, I realized that a lot of the struggles of, of first year teachers, at least in my area and my state, were that teachers were no way prepared for the actual job, which is first those connections with students. Um, making sure that you're learner ready, making sure that you're, you're able to receive so much of what they're bringing, whether it's trauma, whether it's curiosity, whether it's resistance, whether it's a culture where education is not valued. So I realized that we didn't really have a lot of teachers who were kind of learner ready day one, who are ready to just charge in that classroom and be all in no matter what it takes, or not realizing just how much work it takes to actually do that. We really have to start sooner and we have to start younger because greatest teachers, we don't just fall out of the sky. It takes years to be able to develop that. The sooner we can expose people to the realities of, of teaching and show them how awesome it is, but show them that the, the students are the job, not the subject, uh, the more success we might have. And so right now I'm doing a lot of work, not only with retention, kind of the same way, but definitely with the recruitment in throughout our state because it is important. Um, we can lighten a little bit of that, that load on new teachers if we're identifying the, the skill set and sort of the, I don't want to say temperaments, but really like this critical skill set and the, the real needs of what it takes to be an effective teacher so that we're not having to maybe slow the process down and reteach and maybe rebrand once a teacher starts day one if they had a very different idea of what teaching was. Tell me a little more about how we reach teachers or potential teachers earlier. Mm -hmm. how, do we, how do we start developing that pipeline at an earlier age? Through a lot of trial and error over the years, um, I had to take in so much research and so many conversations and so many focus groups to try to figure out what is it that creates an aversion to teaching to begin with. And I think we all sort of know that, that everybody thinks they're an expert of teaching because they've had a teacher. We also know that, you know, as teachers, that that couldn't be further from the truth. Um, I think we also realize that teachers make an impact, but that doesn't mean only the good ones. Sometimes you could have one teacher for one day that left a bad taste in your mouth and all of a sudden you don't want anything to do with that person. So I think that a lot of what it takes is repackaging again and, and exposing to what does it actually mean to be a teacher? Because this generation, Gen Z, they're not interested in um, your, your mother's classroom, like kind of teaching in the suburbs, elementary or lecturing all day. They want nothing to do with it but they actually really do want careers that make a difference. They're digital natives, they long for connectivity, they don't wanna be replaced. Uh, and I think that these are things that are just screaming to be shared with them that this, this profession is totally for you. So at first, whenever I start to kind of look into the district, whether it was recruiting college students or, or recruiting people who were um, in other fields, leading with, oh, if you want to be a teacher, come by, that yielded nothing. And so bringing that same idea to high schools, do you want to be a teacher? Come to the meeting for the teacher class or the teacher club. No one would show up. No one wants to be a teacher thinking that teaching is what they think it is. Um, but once I start to kind of change it and advertise the skill set, 
like, oh gosh, if you are creative, if you're dynamic, if you love building bridges between people, if you love challenges, if you love problem solving, if you really enjoy, um, you know, coaching, like I've, all these other skills that became the basis. Do you want to be that? Do you want to be able to use these skills you have? So once I started to change announcements, whether it's actually with adults or children, um, I ended up having to like have different meetings and I had packed houses of who wanted to come in. So it was really interesting once I just sort of switched it and, and, and start to speak and celebrate the skill set of teaching and not the title. Um, and so that was a really great place to start. And then there, we have what it takes to, we have students in our classroom. We know exactly what their, their amazing capabilities can bring. And we know from there if they would make great teachers. Um, if there are students in our classes that really just take pride and really shine in, in discussions and in bringing out the best in other people and who don't always have to necessarily be the one in charge to lead, if uh, they really are, are jazzed about like learning or challenges or have a growth mindset, we can go to those students and say those things like, hey, I can't help but notice that every time we have conversations, even if they're really tough, you're the ones who bring people in and you really help. I think you make a great teacher. Would you consider being in this class? Um, and I think that that's something that we have never really done as a profession. And it just kind of dawned on me if we could staff an entire military from a cafeteria table by giving kids free pencils and a t-shirt, like surely we can staff the teaching profession, but we never really reach out and specifically target them and recruit them and invite them in. And I think that there are so many bigger uh, ramifications with that same idea. Whenever we look to the, the lack of diversity in the pipeline, it's the same thing. Has anybody ever specifically gone to males and people of color and said, hey, do you know you could really, really change the game simply by um, using your talents and being you? You could be what kids can't see. Would you like to be a teacher? Um, that is shattering things. And so some of it is not rocket science at all. It's just literally things we've never tried. And once I was tasked with uh, mostly my own like self-appointed task of trying to fix this just in my one area, it just made sense. Um, you know, NASA wouldn't wait for people to fall on their, their doorstep, neither would Google. They go out and they find these amazing people. And that's what we have to do as teachers as well. And I think until we start to really hand select um, and be like be frontline and raising the prestige of our profession and making sure that we're writing that narrative of how we want people to see us, then we're not going to be seen the way that we need to be in the way that's going to ensure high quality education for students. I love everything you just said. <laughs> I'd like to take a couple seconds to tell you about our sponsor, GoToScience. GoToScience is a pre-K through second grade tool that empowers students to take ownership over their learning by sparking their curiosity. Kids learn all aspects of the curriculum through adventure and scientific inquiry. Check them out at go2science.com. Each month, we give away a free one-year subscription to GoToScience. To be our winner this month, go to your Twitter or Facebook page and share the Education for a Better World podcast website. Our website is ed4betterworld.com. On our website, you'll find all of our previous episodes, a link to join us on the 2020 Teacher Adventure to Kenya, and information about booking Diane and I as speakers for your next conference. Now let's get back to the show. You've spoken on how you want to see your students become advocates for themselves and to build partnerships with policymakers or connections with the community. How do you do that? Again, it's funny whenever I talk about things that seem so, um, so obvious. 
anytime someone doesn't know how to do something, I take it upon myself to teach them how. And I also see so many times where adults weren't taught how to really advocate for themselves or really for, for much. And I think that that's really sad. And so um, a lot of what I do is teach students or invite them in such a way that they understand that not only can you advocate for what you need, but you have to. Because there'll come a point where if you're not doing it, it won't get done. And who better than you? So the first step is helping them believe that their voice really matters. And I do that a lot by treating them like it matters. And I find that whenever I'm very upfront about why I'm doing that, um, and I'm very upfront about the challenges and the obstacles, but I don't hold back or I don't minimize their efforts, that that's really half the battle, um, that their voices are welcomed and that I actually expect them to do big things. I don't expect them to have a complaint and they're not trying to like actively think or brainstorm solutions for it. And I know that that's something that we expect of adults. And I know we hear that a lot, you know, like in the boardroom or the, you know, PLC, like don't come with a problem and you can't solve it. So I start that a lot sooner that there's no reason why we should wait till people are adults and they've never had a single opportunity to interact with, with real problems or interact with actually being the person who's the victor of that situation. So it's really important um, just in my classroom that, that students understand that not only they, are they invited to actively advocate and solve and identify problems, but that we're gonna try it and I'll see it through. And sometimes it won't work. And when it doesn't work, we're gonna go back to the drawing board. And that's very much a, um, a part of my teaching style. And it's very interesting and I can't say enough. Um, and I've had to, to really state that so much in my community because people are surprised that that same idea um, started with me in a school, again, where I taught students with disabilities with exceptionalities, but it doesn't matter. Everybody is capable of advocacy and everybody is certainly deserving of, of dignity. And I think that the problem isn't that we do it. The problem is that it's not done enough. So carrying that into my Educators Rising class, it was important to me that, that with that, so you know, now if I'm gonna invite these students in and expose them to the ins and outs, of education and really pull the curtain back and help them become the type of teachers that that 21st century students deserve it extends to them like day one i don't want them to wait or be nine years in teaching or heaven forbid three years where they become just so disgruntled or so unheard or they feel so disrespected um that no one's solving their problems for them that they feel like they don't have a voice and i know what that's like as a teacher so again, with the idea of starting sooner, it's not just with exposing them to the idea of teaching. It's about exposing them to the idea that you are an advocate day one for yourself, for students. And so um, I lead class like every single Friday. Um, uh, I call it Genius Hour now. I didn't always know it had a really cool name, but I help them to identify like what, what troubles you? What is it about you know, education that bothers you? And it's really interesting because you know with, with teenagers or with people who are actually on the outside of education, which is really not bound by age at first what they think the biggest problems are aren't those but i don't tell them that they're wrong instead i just continually expose them and challenge them and question them and give them readings um to where they can maybe get to the true root and the true root of, of many problems is oftentimes a lot more digestible it might start with some type of awareness campaign it might start with their own research when they realize that they don't know enough to really proceed so that idea um it transcends any content area that i've ever taught but it's it's so it's also kind of raising the expectations where it's okay to identify the problem and you should because no one sees it like you and no one brings to that um experience what you do and no one feels as affected by that problem 
um, in the same way that you do. But let's also be responsible and get through the, to the bottom of it and really push and challenge and don't stop and, you know, don't believe everything you hear or everything you see or read. Um, and so that, that mindset is just kind of, it's set across all of my classrooms every single year from sixth grade to now seniors. Um, but again, I think that the idea that we question things is very natural to being human and it's not adults that have the corner on that. Since so few high schools have a Educators Rising program or a, mm -hmm. a CTE program dedicated to teaching, can you talk a little bit about what are your classes like? You know, how do you how do you work with high school kids to get them to understand what it means to be a teacher? You're right. Not every school has a program like this, but every school should. And so that's a lot of what I've been working on this entire year. A lot of it was kind of probing that very first day of class. I remember um, I put up a lot of different pictures of, of different professionals and I asked the students, what skills do you think it takes to be a CEO or a, a fighter pilot or a surgeon? And they were just rattling off like the room was buzzing with activities. Oh, they have to be great on their feet and fast thinkers and be able to manage things and problem solvers and good under pressure. Like, I mean, it was just like popcorn for days, the ideas, no matter which profession I put in front of them, um, nursing, carpentry, police officers. So whenever I got to, um, you know, a picture of a teacher, I was like, so what skills do you think it takes to be a teacher? And it was first crickets. Then it was, you have to be patient. And then it was like, you have to like kids. So two, two requirements. You have to be patient and like kids. So almost like nuns, <laughs> you have to be a nun to be a teacher. And that was the day that we just kind of launched into. And so as I work with other schools to help them implement their programs, I start with that. Cause I was like, that's what you're up against. Whatever else you might think you're up against, it's actually the idea that students and by extension, the, the society or community that that got them to where they think that teachers have to only like kids and be patient. That's what you're up against. Like you have to rebuild that mindset. So now if I was to ask students, uh, what qualifications or what skills do you think it takes to be a teacher? I mean, now they're rattling it off 10 times more than they ever could for any other list because they know the ins and outs of it. But the way that we have done that, it's by first sort of exposing them to things that have nothing to do with teaching because they're not ready to go teach lessons right now. Um, this year, now that we're at the end of the year, they will be like planning their first lesson, but we started so far from that. So through the journey of the year, they have learned about like classroom culture and relationships with students. They've learned about policy. They've learned about poverty. They've learned about um, social and emotional learning. We've had very incredible conversations on um, anti-bias instruction, on building relationships with families and communities, with um, the actual separation of powers with state policy and with district and local, with school boards. So it's like before we ever got to the part where they think teaching is, where you're standing in front and babysitting students, because that's essentially what they thought, they were already falling in love with the complexity of it. And I think that um, this is so important and where at least in my state where certain initiatives that maybe were started in the past didn't really work so well because it may have started with the same way that it might start in college where you observe lots of classes, which my students have. They've already been in over 20 hours worth of classes, but it's never for what they thought they were going to go in there for. And I think that where we usually start kids, it's, oh, observe and now let's try some teaching. Let's get on in there. 
And that is a severe disservice to the teaching profession. And it's actually what was the biggest hindrance to it. So the more the students would learn about the different needs, we looked at workforce data. I showed them like, actually, we don't need more teachers in these areas. We need teachers here. We talked about uh, schools in our own area that maybe had a really uh, poor stigma. Uh, maybe they were schools that were high poverty or underperforming or high minority schools that had a reputation. We went to those schools and we asked questions and we saw things in action and it made the kids so hungry because they want to be a part of solutions now. They don't look at teaching as a passive field where people just kind of wait for things to happen. Now they believe that they're charged with the ability and the knowledge to make things happen. So in that class, we started from one kid who answered in the beginning, thought he might want to be a teacher. And now out of our first 20, uh, we've got 16 who have now committed and they want to be teachers. And again, they would have never, they would have just kept kind of languishing in the halls and we'd have had yet another job fair with no booth for teachers because no one was interested. So simply by trying and identifying them and then exposing them to what we all fall in love with teaching to do, but not making them wait till they're eight years in the profession to wrap their heads around it. That's what made it happen. Um, at their age, they, again, they want to be in charge and they want to be a, a part of something that's meaningful and special. And they don't think that copying all the problems on page 92 or whatever is meaningful or special. So I think that it's a really interesting and unique perspective to take these students who are so hungry to be a part of something real and to set them into doing that now that has been really critical. Um, they're rising educators, so I treat them as such. So anytime I'm going to conferences, I'm getting them in too. Um, they're holding their own in conversations. If I'm hosting PD or boot camps for teachers, they're right there with me, um, participating in those conversations. They are being kind of looked at and asked to give quotes for things because their perspectives are amazing because they're not only students wearing a student hat, but they're also rising educators and they're finally able to kind of separate those things. It, that part's been really amazing. And so in terms of this throughout at least my state, it's been very, very grassroots in a sense that it's not coming from the top down. This was something that my state did not want to mandate in any way or be perceived as mandating. So literally just kind of taking this, this idea and conversations like this um, on the road has led us from having this one class in August, which was the one that, that I'm, is part of my pilot, to now starting this fall, we're going to have 17 of our school districts that are piloting the same thing and now really kind of spreading our arms and the connectivity that we've got. And five universities are gonna be supporting those districts with everything from offering dual credit for the coursework to hosting regional conferences for these rising educators to go and experience what it's like to have this ongoing PD and to look at schools. Um, they're gonna start doing signings with students once they decide to kind of pledge to be a teacher. So all the things that you know will make this this happen are going to be happening all the things that are going to also like simultaneously raise the prestige of the profession and also um bring more people into it working in tandem with now teenagers taking the lead on why it's important those are the things that um are really going to make this lasting definitely in my state and certainly in my school um in my district which is where you know the bulk of my my focus has been okay so i have to ask Yes, students have gone and experienced conferences and field trips and conversations and research. Are they changing practice in other classrooms that they have in their regular schedule? I love that you asked that. I will say this. Um, we had to talk. They were not ready to do observations or really have conversations with teachers for several months because they're still students. 
And they went through like many stages of uh, grief almost because they're curious and because the curtain's getting pulled back. And sometimes, sometimes they became like sort of angry and felt sort of cheated out of educational experiences. So I had to like make sure that they understood a lot more before they were ready to go into teachers' classrooms because I didn't want teachers to maybe to, to shut us out. Because again, I also am very supportive of our teachers. They're super important to me as well. And their dignity and self-respect is important to me. So I waited until they were ready to actually engage and be able to recognize what they were seeing before I ever let them step foot into classrooms to be able to interact with teachers. And I think because I took that really powerful step back, which is what is missing a lot from um, the casual observer and maybe the first two years of college, is that relationships were built, but more so that students, even though they're experiencing classrooms that they don't find very satisfying, they've pulled back now that they realize all that goes into teaching, so they were able to go in with a healthier respect for the teachers that were in the room, and that was really powerful. So the other side of that was the fact that um, the teachers, we don't have anyone on campus um, who's not allowing their class to be uh, up for observation with students, which I think is so brave and so telling of the, the teachers on my campus. Um, they're allowing students in, they're engaging in conversations with them, and I think a lot of that is because in class, we are constantly immersed in these really authentic conversations. So the students actually sound like they know what they're talking about because they do. And when they don't, they're stopping to question and stopping to ask. And I think like even as an English teacher now, how powerful that is and how we try to get students to do that, authentically engage in conversations and generate questions and research and make sure that you back things up. They're doing that naturally. And it's such a powerful experience for even the students in the class who don't have a desire to become a teacher, um, just as an entire educational experience of, of one that they don't have to wait for. And with that being said, I think that it's re-energizing a lot of teachers. In fact, we just went to a conference and the students were presenting. They shared a keynote with me and then they comprised a panel afterwards. And we had a teacher that stood up and she gave us the best compliment of the year. She said that she was about to retire, but hadn't told anyone yet. And she said, how could she now retire when she's so inspired by these young people? And I think that that, I mean, I started crying, which is kind of what I do, but it made some of my, my students tear up because I think in that moment, they realized the power of their voice, that they're not just elevating the profession for teenagers, for their peer group, who's now asking, why do you want to be a teacher? And they can articulately say why, but they realize how powerful their presence is for teachers who have been at this for 20, 30 years and who are tired and they understand why they're tired and they understand the demands that are placed on them and they respect them for their service and they respect the game that they didn't understand because they had never had a chance to truly play it. I think it challenges us all, even current practitioners, to raise our game a little bit more because once you talk to these students who have been trained um, with this coursework, you start to carry yourself with more respect because they see you. You start to sort of reinvest in yourself because these students are right there learning and like kind of engaging in this jargon that it takes some of us many years to, to acquire. So it definitely raises the bar for everyone. Uh, but I think that leveraging their, their spirit is really beneficial for, again, not only their peers, but for, for colleagues and current practitioners who um, have never heard someone youthful really turn to them with an appreciation and respect for their craft is just really powerful. The first time that I was exposed to Educators Rising was um, when we were in California, our first uh, Teacher of the Year meeting. 
And one of the things that really struck me is they said that they have had incredible success in bringing more diversity to teachers that are going into college or pre-service teachers that are going into college to pursue the profession. Has that been your experience also? And could you talk a little bit about maybe why that's happening? There's twofold. It's actually leading to some policy changes in my state that I've been um, able to really start conversations to get people involved behind. So let me take a step back. Yes, it has tremendous power and capability to do that, to do just that, because Educators Rising itself, um, it's really committed to not only allowing us to diversify the pipeline and encouraging targeted recruitment, but also to ensuring that all educators are culturally responsive practitioners. It's infused in every single thing. It's the idea that teaching is very much um, a field or a profession for social justice and social impact, uh, which I think is why it has the success it has. In this first year out, um, it's very interesting because I had to take a step back and realize that in certain states or in certain areas, if the only students who had access to this incredible opportunity were students who maybe were already tracked for dual enrollment or some sort of elite coursework or were like already pegged college bound, we had a problem, at least in the state of Louisiana, because here, if you look at um, the students who matriculate into advanced coursework, they're, they're white affluent students. And that's just the way it is, calling spades spades. So I've had to really open up a lot of conversations in my state to make dual credit happen for that, where students weren't sort of bound by having to have an ACT score that they just don't have as sophomores or juniors just yet, but then also encouraging my state to create a pathway that would incentivize schools to allow any student to take the selective, not just the ones who um, or sort of primed 4.0 students to begin with. So it has the capability to be the great diversifier, but there have also been major fails in growing your own programs because if the only students who are allowed to take them are ones that, you know, are sort of already doing really well or really great or in areas that are, you know, socioeconomically more affluent, then we end up with the same pipeline we already have, which is something that was interesting to look at and was an interesting um, journey that I did not anticipate. So to make sure we're not sort of, you know, going back on that promise that it can diversify, we have to be very pointed about that. And for me, it took really pulling up my sleeves and trying to look at the policy and, and have that plate spinning while I also tried to pilot this coursework. So our last question for you, Kim, is a question mm -hmm. that we ask of all of our guests. And we're going to ask you to do this in only one or two sentences. Okay. <laughs> so if you could change education in some way to make the world a better place, what would you do? Show up for work tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> what an amazing Done. answer. That's <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> Thank you for joining us today. Please visit our website at edforbetterworld.com. That's ed, E-D, the number four, betterworld.com for show notes and to learn more about inviting Mike and I to lead a workshop for your teachers. And don't forget to check the other podcast related goodies. We want to thank Kimberly Eckert for being a guest on today's show. Credit for music on the show goes to Midair Machine. Join us next week as we talk with Chris Holmes about student motivation and his backtracking apathy project. We hope you enjoyed today's conversation and that it gave you some new ideas and perspectives. Through education and action, we can create a better world. Until we're together again, continue to dream big. And affect positive change.